Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Secrets of a Serial Killer. I'm your host, Nick. And yeah, it kind of sucks that my mom won't be a part of it no more. I tried to get her to come back, but there's just so much shit that's been going on. Like I told you guys, with my dad's surgery, uh, he went back to work, and now here we are a month later, he's going to be out of work for six more weeks because of him had to do another surgery to get his poop bag removed. I know that's too much information, but I wanted to get into this episode. But before I do, I want to say thank you to everybody that's been listening to the podcast. So I did this Spotify 2022 wrap up and 805 minutes of content and all and 150% more than other episodes, which is the Bundy and John George Haig episode outperformed everything 13 countries have listened but the top five are the u.s Woo! the uk australia austria my bad malta and ireland so shout out to all the top five but also shout out to all 13 because that is very amazing also 263 percent more listeners than my average week top 10 for 13 fans Top five for seven fans and top one for three fans. That means like these episodes are the top episodes that people listen to on a day to day basis. So like three people have this podcast as their number one podcast they listen to, which is amazing. Five people have no the top five have seven fans and top 10 have 13, which is amazing, which I've only had 12 episodes, 105 minutes in 13 countries, so that's amazing. So, I was going to add this character to another individual, but he has so many kills that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to give him his own episode. And since Christmas is coming up, I don't really know another serial killer that has, um, you know, killing abilities during Christmas time besides Bruce McArthur. So, it's going to be Andre today. And then it's going to be Bruce McArthur, the mall Santa, the next Saturday. And then after that, we're going to do Jeffrey Dahmer since he's extremely hot right now due to Netflix making him that way. So, yeah, I made my boy famous. So a lot of these words I'm going to keep out because I'm not good with Russian words. So y'all just bear with me. So today we're going to be talking about a guy named Andre. I forgot how to pronounce his last name, honestly, but they call him the Red Ripper. Just look up Red Ripper on, you know, Google, and you'll know exactly who it is, right? So Andre was born in the 1930s in Ukraine, but starvation at that time was very common, and Joseph Stalin was still the leader, and at that time he was forcing farmers to give over their crops to the government, or if they didn't, they would kill them. So 3.9 million people actually died from hunger, and they would actually go as far as eating tree bark, roots, or even pets. Most of them hid their food, but if they even got caught, they would get beat by the authorities. So in 1937, Anna, she gave birth to Andre. At five, his mom told him that they had a dark family secret. Why would you tell your five-year-old that? His older brother has gone missing. Some sources say it was actually his cousin, not his brother, he disappeared two years before Andre was even born, so I don't even know why it's such a big deal. The village bear got never a ransom note 
or anything like that. The kid wasn't held hostage, so rumors circulated around thinking that he was eaten instead. She shared the story to cautious him, but instead he was curious about cannibalism. He went to sleep picturing what it would be like eating another human being. So in 1941, his father went to join the army to fight against Hitler's army, but he got captured. The fighting arrived at Andre's doorstep, literally. The Nazis and the Soviets were battling, and Andre saw dead bodies laying in the streets. In 1943, allegedly the Nazis stormed into his village. He saw soldiers tormenting and raping his mother, and then nine months later his mother gave birth to his sister, Tatiana. Well, his body didn't know how to handle the trauma that he was going through, so he wet the bed a lot. Most kids stopped bedwetting around the age of 4 to 6 years old, and he was still doing it at the age of 12. This was an early sign of childhood stress, and the more trauma that a child faces, the harder to coordinate. So his mother didn't understand why he was still peeing the bed at 12, so she beat him for his stained sheets, hoping that it would make him stop. He stayed to himself, he would daydream, and he got bullied often. One boy saw his penis at the urinal and told the school it was an odd shape. Okay, that just says something about your character, brother. You staring at another man's penis. Whatever. Then you go around telling everybody it's odd shape. Something's wrong with you. Others said that he had breasts and called him Baba. The fuck? Russian masculinity was a huge factor in the culture, so Andre's self-esteem dropped. I guess because he wasn't a very manly man or anything like that. His vision was bad, but he was too scared if he got glasses that the bullies would actually bully him worse. He could barely see the blackboard, and he sat in the back of the room, but he tried not to bring attention to himself. So in 1945, when he was just eight, the Allies defeated Japan and Germany in ending the war. Soviets reclaimed, UK, uh, Soviets reclaimed Ukraine from the Nazis. Andre's father was captured for four years in a concentration camp, which that's got to be brutal. He eventually returned home to his wife and children, and he didn't get even a warm welcome at all. And that time, it was cowardly and frowned upon to get captured. True heroes die defending their country, and only cowards get captured. Andre sided with the others and thought his father deserved it. He eventually got bigger and stronger than his classmates. So instead of words, he would throw punches. Most of the time, he had won. Most of the time, he had actually won his fights and actually earned himself some respect. His nickname was Andre the Strong. So he went from being this little cowardly little bitch to being Andre the Strong. <laughs> he moved to the back of the row to the front. So he no longer sat at the back of the class. He sits in the front now. He impressed his teachers with his engagement and intelligence. And in high school, he got deeper into communism propaganda bullshit. At 15, he was terrified of women to the point if they sat next to him, he'd move. Same, bro. Same. 26, and I still feel that way. He was jealous of couples, though. Same, bro. Same. He did some small dates, but they all ended in failure. Relatable. Due to anxiety, he couldn't perform sexually. I'm going to be honest. I have had this problem, too, where like I think the anticipation or leading up to the sex is what gets me, like... It's not necessarily like you like taking my clothes off or we're making out or we're about to have sex. It's before that. Like, Just say, okay, me and you, we're going to have sex at 8 o'clock tonight. All day, 
I'm going to be thinking, oh shit, oh shit, I got to have sex at 8 o'clock tonight. Oh, this is going to be crazy. And then, you know, I'm talking to you, we're having dinner, and I'm thinking, oh shit, we're going to have sex. I'm not even thinking about dinner, and the anxiety's in my mind. So I definitely can relate to that. There's some times where I couldn't even perform because anxiety got the best of me. Word spread around the village. Man, that had to fucking suck. So in spring of 1954, he was 17, and he got a surprise visit from one of his sister's friend named Nanya. She was wearing a skirt and stockings, and he wanted her. He pushed her to the ground, and his hunger for her was so great that he didn't care who even saw him. We don't know her side, but Andre said that she gave in. Pinning her down piqued his incitement. After a few minutes, he ejaculated on himself. He immediately ran inside ashamed and confused at what just happened. What he didn't know was that this was the beginning of his dark compulsions. In high school, he got high grades and leadership roles. He thought that he was better than his classmates, so he applied to the Moscow, Moscow State University. His university application was denied, and he felt like he deserved it, but was felt like he was crushed at the same time. Instead of applying for more universities, he just gave up. <laughs> Relatable, bro. He decided to stay in his own village and go to a technical college. That was a step down. Uh, not now. In 2022, that's definitely not a step down, brother. He met another friend of his sister's and started dating. Within a couple of months and a few failed intercourses, he wasn't able to have sex. Frustrated, he decided to break up. He ended up getting his college degree as an engineer and moved to a different town, about a thousand miles east of Moscow. By this time, Russia was competing with America in the Cold War, so Andre's job was, was vital. First couple of weeks, his co-workers and bosses appreciated him. When he started dating the local women, he struggled with sex. These women openly teased him for his issues. A man who couldn't have sex was hardly a man at all in the eyes of Russian women. He was scared that these women would spread his secrets to everyone, like in his hometown. He was scared that his co-workers knew his secrets, and it went from excited to depressed. Eventually, he got drafted into the military communication unit. He made it an effort to go out to the bar with the other people, but they were focused on one thing, women. He thought it'd be easier to meet girls while in a squad of uniformed men. When the other soldiers left and escorted these girls back to their place, Andre panicked and left. One evening, he was talking to a female, and she grew bored of him, and once he had his arm wrapped around her, she was actually trying to get up and leave, but he held her there. As she was struggling to get away, he loves the feeling of her fear and shocked. It was a dopamine hit to him. Before he had grasped on what he was happening, before he could grasp on what was happening, he ejaculated in his pants once again, just like years before when he held his sister's friend down to the ground. He wasn't able to explore a sexual violence because most USSR soldiers got married around 20 years old and started having children soon afterwards. So in 1963, Andre's sister felt like she was tired of him being single. He's been single for too damn long, so she introduced him to one of her friends. I don't know how to pronounce that name at all. His sister knew that he didn't have the guts to ask her out, so she invited them both to some social events, and he wasn't able to look her in the eye, but they did click. They were a great match, and she was in uh, brace. Well, she was actually very embraceive, decisive, and intelligent. He followed her lead, and within a few weeks, they got married. 
but of course his sexual side failed him once again. She was surprised, but also disappointed. But they needed children. They used masturbation and assimilation together, and it worked. So in 1967 to 1969, she actually gave birth to two children. He was a happy family man and even loved his kids. They seemed like they were living their perfect life. His wife supported his studies, which was the theology and the literature. He became a teacher. He was happy, passionate, excited. It felt like his life was perfect. He saw himself at the front of the classroom, expiring the youth. Well, hate to tell you, but his dream fell apart because the students didn't listen at all. They broke the rules right in front of his face and called him names. Look, I would have beat some little kid's ass, bro. They would have been like, listen here, little motherfuckers. Y'all got to listen to me today. Uh-huh. At home, y'all can act like little shitheads, but here you're going to have some motherfucking respect, all right? He was so overwhelmed that one time he almost fainted in the staff room. You know it's bad. He didn't turn to his wife or kids for help. He looked into some soulless fantasies. He had daydreams of women being held down by him. Not women his age, but his students. Sometimes he'd get close to a female student and let his hand wander off into inappropriate areas. A 2017 article about Andre said his childhood trauma made his sexual urges towards children. He felt powerless against his bullies and ashamed for being mocked by the women that he tried to sleep with. In a way, he wanted to get back at them. Since they weren't around anymore, he redirected his attention to the girls at school. Sometimes he'd walk into the women's dormitory while they were changing and openly masturbated in front of them. The school quickly caught on to his predatory behavior, but they didn't do nothing about it. Because at that time, women had rights, but to a certain extent. Divorce was nearly impossible, and domestic violence was tolerable. Anyone who was speaking out about sexual assault or misconduct was harshly interrogated by the police. Putting the blame on the victim, they did a lot of victim blaming. Sex was a very taboo topic, and it was frowned upon to be promiscuous. He kept a 14-year-old after class one time and punished her for bad grades. He beat her with the ruler until she cried and pleaded. Grabbing her and feeling her struggle, he accidentally ejaculated. Mm. He also, outside of school, sexually assaulted his wife's six-year-old niece. Mm. Enough parents made complaints about that that the school had no longer was able to ignore it. So in 1974, they quietly asked Andre to resign. His wife was disgusted with her husband's habits. He said he wouldn't do it again, and he was a good partner, and he also was a great husband and a great father, so she forgave him. He couldn't control himself no more. Once him and his parents moved to a new part of town, he bought a three-story shack. First, he was told taking sex workers there, which was rarely successful due to him not being able to perform. So in winter of 1978, 42-year-old Andre, he was walking through the snow, headed to a supermarket. He just got off work, so he had no rush to get home. And so, he liked disappearing in the aisles that were full of shoppers. I don't know. He definitely would have loved Black Friday then, just disappearing into the shoppers. He spotted a nine-year-old, Lana, at a nearby bus station. A familiar urge filled him and made him hungry. So, he approached her. She said that she was rushing home to use the bathroom, but he offered her to come back to his place to use it instead. She followed him back to his place, and he quickly got her inside. 
Once he got her inside, he pinned her to the ground where he placed his hand over her mouth so she couldn't scream and he ripped off her clothes. He wanted to rape her, but his body failed him once again. In the struggle, she began to bleed. Seeing the blood drip from her body gave him the biggest orgasm he'd ever had. In a frenzy, he just wanted to cut her a little bit more, but he couldn't control himself. He stabbed her over and over and over again. She screamed and fought, but nothing was working. He tossed a knife, and he started to strangle her. He was so lost in the moment, he didn't even realize that she was already dead. Pulling himself away, he was exhausted but relieved. He wrapped her up with his clothes and picked her up. So he came outside and he checked both ways to make sure that none of the neighbors saw him and he made a dash to a nearby river. He took her and her belongings and just tossed them into the river. Not going back to the crime scene, he went home. So this happened in the shack. Didn't actually happen at his home. So instead of going back to the shack, he went home. His wife was out that night, so he wanted her to feel like he's been there the whole night. The police found the girl... But the current didn't actually carry her as far as that Andre wanted to. It just went over to the next town. So it was only a few miles away. The police went door to door and asked all the locals about the situation. And they pointed at this strange shack that was taking women in and out of it. They interrogated Andre and interviewed his wife. A little girl was raped and murdered. So they needed his wife's, you know, alibi on her husband. Well, saying that he was at home all night. Not sure how his wife actually felt in this moment. She knew about his past, and that's why they're in this town in the first place. If she tells on him, she'll betray him, and they'll have to pick up their lives and move again. So she lied for him. And to her, it was just a small price to pay to keep her family and reputation intact. Wow, wasn't she dead-ass wrong? The police actually interviewed him eight to nine times and still couldn't link him to it. They arrested a 25-year-old, Alexandra Kroshenka. Uh, I don't know how to say that name. He lived nearby, and he spent 10 years in prison for killing a child. No solid evidence, but they didn't care. The code was keeping up appearances, not really caring about the public. Distress and threat of violence, he confessed to it. A few years later, he was executed. At first, I felt bad that he got executed for Andre's crimes, but then I went and read back that he killed a 10-year-old child. So, I actually don't feel too bad for him at all, piece of shit. <laughs> well, well it, doesn't, it said he spent 10 years in prison for killing a child. They didn't say how old the child is, but either way, he deserved to get executed. To avoid temptation, Andre quit teaching. So he became a supplies clerk for a manufacturing company, and the position had him spending days at a time on the road. So he was traveling alone. Mm, damn, I don't know why I said alone. <laughs> he was traveling a lot alone. So in 1981, he passed the library. Outside was a 17-year-old Larissa. He was flirting with her. Larissa, who was a rebel, might have saw dating an older man interesting. He asked her to take a walk by the river, and she agreed. He took her down and isolated path in the woods and attempted to have sex with her as usual he couldn't perform not sure the reason but he lashed out on her and he started beating her the more she shouted and struggled the more aroused he got he started biting her ripping pieces of her ugh, skin right off of her and then spitting them out psychologist thinks that it stems from a disorder called aronia phobia philia i don't know how to say that shit this is when someone needs arousing. 
<sighs> Let me explain. It's when somebody is aroused from murder or mutilation. Like, if they see somebody get murdered or they mutilate them, they get aroused off of that. Alright. It completely took control over him. He needed dominance, and since he's been humiliated all his life, biting into her gave him full control. Also, the cannibalistic thoughts of his brother-slash-cousin could have been on his mind, but we don't know. After she died, he came down from his frenzy. He covered her with leaves and walked out of the woods, and they found her the next day. But there was nothing to connect Andre to the murder. He lived over an hour away. Over a year, he wondered how much he could get away with if he was careful. So the summer of 1982, he was on a business trip in a town 30 miles away from home. He saw a 13-year-old Booba Beer Ia. I don't know. We're just going to call it Booba. Walking home from the store, he followed her. Let me tell y'all something. What is up with all these fucking kids walking to stores and schools and their homes all by themselves? I don't get that. Like, if you go back and listen to all these episodes I've done, you'll hear at least one, two, or three fucking kids walking by themselves going somewhere. My mother never let me walk anywhere by myself, let alone at like 9 or 4 or 15 or hell, even 13. So, yeah, it's crazy. Very fucking crazy if you ask me. So, she followed... So, he got her attention, and she followed him in some patches of woods. He tried to rape her, but when that failed, he stabbed her in the stomach over and over again, fighting back, but she had no chance. He used his weapon to actually pop out her eyes. Because, excuse me, there was a Russian superstition is when a killer takes a life and the imprint of the suspect's face is on the back of the victim's eyes. This was the way that police can see the culprit during autopsy and hunt them down for the murder. He was probably paranoid of the lore and wanted to destroy the imagery photo or something else. Or maybe it was linked to his mental illness, who the hell knows. She was found two weeks later decomposed under the summer heat. Any existing evidence was lost. He went on to kill six more victims, some at bus stops, targeting drifters, and young lost souls. He liked targeting kids. He can lure them in with candy, sex, money, drugs, etc. He continued to remove their eyes and tear off pieces of their skin. He began to bite off and cut off genitals and tongues. Ugh. He never admitted to eating anyone, just chewing and spitting the body parts out. His crimes didn't go unnoticed, though. Officials saw a pattern, even thought it was spread. They saw a pattern, even though it was spread out. Dead children all over had them launch an investigation. They kept it under wraps to keep the peace. No one alerted the police or the public. The police never. Ah, oh, fuck me, y'all. I am not doing good. My mind is just spinning a million miles. Ugh. No one alerted the public about a serial killer on the loose. They continued on with their lives, oblivious that their children's in danger. He was detached from his work and isolated from his wife and now grown kids. All he wanted to do was kill, so in 1983, he murdered eight more people, bringing his total victim count to 17. The rumors about the murders began to spread through the public. Back at home, his children didn't respect him. His son called him a goat, which is highly disrespectful in Russia. In America, you call somebody the GOAT. It's the acronym for the greatest of all time, motherfucker. So, yeah. His wife grew frustrated of his absences and yelled at him. Don't blame her. 
He cowered down to her and others, but when he was alone, the darkness come out to play. His work sent him a big his work actually sent him to a big city, which allowed him to move unnoticed, and he met a 44-year-old named Marta. She was a sex worker, not sure if he picked her up at a bus station or not. The two of them went to Aviators Park. They walked deep into the woods where no one could see them. They tried to have sex, and then he brutally murdered her. Wow. He's actually changed because most of his victims were under 25, and she was 44. Once dead, he got back onto the path and continued his walk. His work started missing equipment, and the blame fell on him. They also filed chem, uh, criminal, criminal charges against Andre, his work did, because they thought that he stole equipment from his job. His wife stormed into the factory because her husband was too shy to speak up for himself. Instead of job hunting, he was hunting victims. In his bag, he had knives, ropes, and Vaseline and he ignored his duties as a father, husband, and more. His activities became very noticeable, and the neighbors saw him getting a little bit too close to the kids, if you know what I mean. Come here, kids. Sassy kids. His wife blew it off, saying, Yeah, he's been uh, inappropriate around children before, but he's too weak to do anything. Well, she was dead-ass wrong again. So in March of 1984, he killed a 10-year-old named Dima. It was close by his hometown, stabbing him 54 times and left him at a housing estate as he walked away. He left the footprint accidentally behind. The next couple months, he killed 12 more people, and at this point, his murder count is over 30 people. Jeez. Moscow said it's a serial killer. Other areas think it was isolated incidents. Fucking idiots. So in 1983, a senior investigator in Moscow named Vladimir, he noticed a pattern. Children, woods, mutilation, any bodies that came up like these, he added it to his file. It was the stub of the Fourth Path Murders. Why would they call it that? They dubbed it the Fourth Path Murders? Okay. Vladimir and a team of others started going around studying all these cases. Last seen locations, where they were buried, and the state of the mutilation. So... This psychiatrist, Alexandria, created a profile of the suspect. The suspect was antisocial, mentally ill, but it can hold down a job and have a wife. The killer was also sexually troubled. It fit more Andre's status, and it lowered the search stance of people who were committed for sexual crimes. They found semen on nine of the victims. The sample came up as the same group of A.B., it came from one man. The manhunt can finally begin. Ooh, they got him. Even though the public didn't know, they let other law enforcement know the killer's M.O. Every police out there needed to be on high alert. So in September of 1984, there was an officer working on a railroad, and he kept his eyes peeled when he noticed a nice-looking man with a briefcase was talking to every woman and girl in sight. He could tell something was off. He took Andre in for questioning, and he gave him his name, occupation, and his communist status. His bag was checked, and he had knives, rope, and Vaseline in it. Not sure how he felt about the situation. The USSR also had the death penalty, so not only he could end up losing his killing spree, but also he could end up being killed himself. They asked him about the past victims, and his shoe size actually fit the print. The final test, they actually took a sample of his blood. To their surprise, he was A, not AB. 
They tried it a few more times, but they got the same results. He had an extremely rare condition where his blood did not match his semen. So his blood was A positive, or just A, and then his semen was AB, which is very, very rare. Very rare. The chance of this happening is one in a million people, and for it to happen to a serial killer is one in a trillion. So, for a few months afterwards, perfect time for him to face the burglary charges. So, he got out. And he ended up having to face burglary charges from his company. So in December, a judge found him guilty, but he didn't give him any jail time. And the man looks harmless, is what the judge said. Andre got his act together, and he got a new job, spent time with the wife, his kids, and he even bragged on his new grandbaby, and he stopped killing. Vladimir thought he either moved away in prison for another crime or even dead, or worse, taking a break. It's not uncommon for a killer to take a break. It's called a cooling-off period. So in 1985, after 11 months of his best behavior, he was in Moscow for work, and he noticed a 16-year-old named Natalia. She was smoking by a nearby airport. He asked her if he could get a bump of cigarette. He offered to buy her a drink and some food, but only if she had sex with him. And she agreed, and they went to a nearby neighborhood, and he took her to the woods, and he killed her the same way he killed his other victims stabbing her first and then strangling her. Her body was found the next day by a man picking mushrooms. That boy was on a psychedelic trip, wasn't he? The murder got back to Vladimir, and with so many stars, with so many, you know, shit, like, common things, he made it clear who it was. He knew who it was. I don't know why autocorrect said star rooms. That's what fucked it up on my notes. This time, Vladimir wasn't alone. He was just joined by another individual. Issa was one of the best detectives in the USSR. He thought that the killer was an issue for the national security. So a federal task force was actually formed with Vladimir, him, and others involved. It started off small and then it grew, but it started off the biggest manhunt in the history of the Soviet Union ever. I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm just not really doing good tonight. I'm tired and I need to be going to bed in a few hours because I got to go back to my hometown to go to a funeral. So please forgive me. I've been up all fucking day doing shit. So they had 25,000 suspects and they ended up solving 100 unrelated crimes, 95 murders and 275 sexual assaults. And homosexuality at the time was frowned upon. So those gay men were a huge target at the time. Andre was able to avoid that. Andre saw how powerful the police force was getting, so he decided to take another break. So in 1986, it was very quiet for Andre. The Soviet Union got a new leader, so they were able to release the information to the public, and people were fascinated and horrified and pissed off that they were left in the dark this whole time. After two years of patiently waiting, Andre gave into his convulsions again. He went out to a small town away from the task force and killed a 13-year-old boy. He took two lives that year and then three lives the next year. He got so good at what he was doing that he was practically a surgeon when it came to mutilation. So by 1988, he killed 40 people. Jeez, man. Like, there's so many times he could have been stopped. So March of 1989, he spotted 15-year-old Tanya outside a train station. He was thinking about taking Tanya to his daughter's apartment 
which he had the keys in his pocket and his daughter wasn't home. Dumbass idea. He told himself, I'll just rape her, not kill her. Bro, you can't even fucking perform. Look at all your past fucking victims. You tried to have sex with all of them and you couldn't perform. What makes you think you're just going to be able to perform now? Stupid fuck. He offered her a warm meal, but she knew people like Andre would want sexual favors in advance. So she was hungry, cold, and bored. He made them a meal, and after that, she wasn't impressed with the apartment. Excuse me. But she let him press her to the floor. Once again, when he wasn't able to perform, he grew frustrated. And the girl, she noticed this, and she was thinking maybe this could save her. She decided to threaten to call the cops, and Andre became frantic. Okay, you thinking that you're going to tell a guy in an apartment, I'll call the cops. Uh, that's the safest thing to say. No, bitch, you just literally just put him in a fucking frenzy, and now he's going to fucking beat you to death. And guess what happened? He grabbed his folded knife, and he cut her in the mouth. And actually seeing the blood it excited him, and he started stabbing Tanya until she was dead, and then he climaxed. See? Didn't help you at all. He wasn't supposed to kill her, but now he's left with the body in his daughter's apartment. He took a large knife, and he sawed off her limbs one by one by one. He wrapped the body parts up with the cloths, and he put them on a shed that he found nearby, and then he dragged her into the snowy night. The snow was thinning, so the shed was getting snagged on the ground a lot. He was trying to pull the shed over some railroad tracks, and it got stuck. And he would pull with all his might, and then all of a sudden he heard a man call to him, and he looked up in a panic and saw this dude walking towards him. Andre froze. The man walking up to him actually greeted him, and Andre was waiting for something bad to happen. Instead, the man offered to help. Together, they lift up the shed, uh, the sled over the tracks and then onto the smoother snow. The man just went about his night not knowing that he just literally just helped out a serial killer. He's just like, all right, let me help you over these tracks, and then I'm peacing out. Later, dude. Enjoy the rest of your killing spree. The rest of 1989, he killed four more victims. Vladimir and Issa caught on to them as well. They saw that he was discarding the bodies at bus stations and railways. They decorated the officers and put them at major traveling hubs, but some of the locations were remote and had officers hiding in the woods. They wanted to force Andre to use these areas so they can catch him. An officer in 1990, still in regular plain clothes, he was standing there just minding his own business, but he didn't like standing in the rain. But then all of a sudden, he noticed Andre walking out from the woods, walked over to the train station, bent down, and started washing his hands under a water spigot. He noticed a large band-aid on his finger and a rusted color stain on his cheek. Coming from the forest, it could have been mud or berries, but he was thinking maybe it could be blood, so he took down his information. He calmly answered his questions, and then after that, Igor let him go. When he watched Andre step onto the train, he had a weird gut feeling. A few days later, they found a 22-year-old body in the same woods that Andre walked out of. Her tongue and nipples were cut off. And they went to Igor's report and gave it to the task force, and they dug into Andre's background. Due to his job and the crimes with the children, he started to look guilty. They noticed every time... He boarded the train. He would sit beside a loner young person, giving himself away right there. They watched him try to talk to underage boy one time, and then he grew frustrated trying to lure him off the train. 
but when it didn't work and a group of people actually swarmed into the car, he stormed off. So the police were like, look, we're not going to let any other kids get hurt, so we're going to go ahead and get this mob while we can. So later that afternoon, three officers arrested Andre by a cafe. In his bag, they found his rope, knives, and whatever else he had. And he didn't know the Vaseline. That's what it was. The rope, the knives, and the Vaseline. And he didn't even struggle at all. They took his blood again, and it failed again. When they tested the sperm alone, it matched at the crime scene. They wanted a confession at first, but he said that he was paying sex workers because of his incompetence. Even admitting to sexually assaulting young children and blaming on his childhood, he played the victim, and he refused to admit that he murdered anyone. So November 29th, he was waiting for an officer to interrogate him, but instead a psychologist, Alexandria, the one that did the criminal profile years before, he walked in. He was friendly at first, and the officers were shocked at how easily Andre and him got along. And he even offered to show Andre the criminal profile that he made, and Andre agreed to see it. When he went over every little detail, Andre started to cry, and that's when he started to talk. Him talking about Andre's life made it feel like he understood him at his darkest moments in his life, and he poured his heart out to the psychologist. The moment he shared his secret, it was like he wasn't able to stop talking about it. He told him how he'd pick up his victims, how he killed them, and even ran around with the police to show them where the bodies that haven't been found were laying at. His wife visited him in prison. She needed him to sign over the family savings to her. Even though she knew all about the red flags, she was still shocked. I don't know how the fuck you're not shocked, lady. Like, come on now. The only question she had for him was, Why did you do it? And he couldn't answer. He could barely look at her. She left and never came back, and Andre sat in prison. The USSR fell apart, and a new person stepped up to be the president. Andre Face was in every magazine, and the public gave him the name The Red Ripper, which represented the blood of the victims and the bygones of the USSR. So in 1992, 17 months after he was placed, no, 17 months later, he was placed in an iron cage in the courtroom, and the victims cried and cursed at him. The victims just wanted him dead. So on October 14, 1992, must have dad's birthday, he was found guilty with 52 out of 53 murders. So Valentine's Day, 1994, he was shipped off to another building. Well, he was brought into an area that was actually where he killed. So they brought him to a building that was in the same area where he killed most of those children. And so a state official placed a gun underneath his right ear and pulled the trigger. And that's the end of Andre right there. And that was only 39 minutes. I felt like it was a lot longer than that. But let's go over some Andre facts. First off, you heard me say that when his wife asked him why he did it and he couldn't look her in the eye, it made me remind, it reminded me of when he wasn't able to look her in the eye when they first met. You remember when his sister invited him to these socials events? He wasn't able to look her in the eyes then. So, of course, now that he's guilty, he's definitely not going to be able to look her in the eye now. So, Andre actually was diagnosed with schizo-personality disorder. disorder. And then he was diagnosed with that other one I told you guys. I didn't know how to pronounce. 
So in 2017, an article about Andre said that his childhood trauma made his sexual urges grow stronger towards children. Andre was also an organized killer, but as time progressed and he couldn't control himself, he was starting to get sloppy and become a disorganized killer. Sometimes he would tie his victims up, but he wouldn't even leave the cords around. So he was very, very, very organized for the most part. All that was left was semen and blood, which obviously would be his downfall. That would made him, you know, a disorganized killer. Andre said himself that he was a mistake of nature and needed to be eliminated. He also knew no matter what he would do, he would never be able to feel that hunger within him. Here's the thing. Andre could have been stopped a long time ago. If his wife would have fucking, like, snitched him out and been like, nah, he wasn't here at the house. He was out doing whatever. He would have been arrested and he would have gone to prison for one murder. Or he would have been executed. Also, I don't feel bad for the guy who got executed for his crime because obviously he killed a child too. So, I mean, eye for an eye right there. Also, the police had dropped the ball as well because they had him and let him go because his blood type was different. You know what I'm saying? And then the other guy, Igor put down his information as well and it's like they made their self known instead of watching him from a distance until like the very end it was like they kept approaching it making it a lot easier for Andre to be like excuse me I'm burping uh make it a lot easier for Andre to be like oh shit the cops are on my tail let me like lay low and not do anything you know what I'm saying the dude laid low for a while he took like two separate breaks because the police were literally giving themselves away that easily, you know. I see some pictures of Andre. He looks creepy as fuck, if you want me to be honest. Creepy bastard. <laughs> A very, very creepy bastard, if you ask me. I'm like, this dude's got some issues. He does look like a child killer, man. Damn. 53 murders? Jeez, man. This dude's been busy. How the fuck did he get away? He was so sloppy. Even when they're saying, oh, he was organized, he still was sloppy. You see how the police and the public always be dropping a ball. It's not even just in the Jeffrey Dahmer shit. People are, like, mad about that, too, because they're like, the cops fucked up in the Jeffrey Dahmer thing. I mean, look at this story. The cops literally had them right in their hands, literally right there in the palm of their... Like, they interrogated him eight to nine times on his first kill, and they still let him go. His wife could have literally just snitched him out. And send him to prison forever. But, you know, obviously, standing by your man is a lot different in the USSR than it is here in America. And you gotta think the time period as well. It's crazy how these people over there were starving to the point they're eating bark off trees and shit. That's bad. That is so fucking bad. I'm very sorry that I've been stuttering, you guys. I'm just super duper tired. I gotta get up and go to a funeral tomorrow, sir. I'm going to go ahead and upload this today, which is Friday. I'm going to go ahead and upload it now, and then you guys can watch it anytime tonight. Listen to this anytime tonight or tomorrow or whenever. Mainly I upload on Saturdays, but I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be leaving first thing in the morning, so I ain't got time to upload it. So I love all of you. I will be back. I'm going to do Bruce MacArthur, the Mall Santa, because it's December and it's close to Christmas. And then after that, I'm going to be doing Jeffrey Dahmer. I've been working on Jeffrey Dahmer's, honestly, but it's just so much shit.
you know what I'm saying? There's like podcasts about them. There's YouTube videos. So I'm going through all these podcasts. I'm going through these YouTube videos. And then I watched the Netflix series. And now they came out with fucking, uh, you know, tapes with Dahmer. It was uh, this young lady, I guess. It was a psychologist or something. She has, like, cassette tapes, like, recorded tapes of her and Dahmer talking together. And I'm like, fuck, now I gotta listen to that. And then Dr. Phil did a fucking interview with Dahmer's dad. I'm like, can I catch a break with Jeffrey? Like, shit. Ugh. Sorry, that Jeffrey Dahmer one's gonna be real long. That's the problem about Dahmer. There's, like, little details added in there, and some things are true, some things are not, so... Yeah, so I've been watching a lot of net. I've watched the Netflix. I've watched YouTube videos, going through podcasts. I'm going to be watching the other, like uh, the tapes with Jeffrey Dahmer, where her and what I just said, where him and that woman sat down and were talking. Uh, his other interviews that he has, the interview his dad had with Dr. Phil, like all that's going to be a pain in the ass. But I hope you like this episode. I was going to add it with another person, but I couldn't really think of anybody else that could fit this. And I kind of wanted to, like, rush and get this episode out now, you know, because I'm trying to get to bed soon, and there's some other things I need to do real quick. But if I, like, go and do research on another killer, like, this episode wouldn't be coming out. So, yeah, and I'm already way behind as it is. I love all of you. Y'all stay safe. And I will catch you sickos in the next one. Watch your back. You would never know. Out of all the people that you see around you, one of them is a serial killer. Sweet dreams.